So you got me this evening? I can know my supporters are here. <laughs> I've got to win some people over. Quite a lot of, actually the majority, I've got to win over. Um, but uh, this morning in our, in our prayer meeting, I'll be coming back to this bit at the end. Um, but I just, um, if, you are, if you have a relationship with Jesus, um, I just want you to think for a moment. And if you were at the prayer meeting this morning, you'll have a heads up, so you should know your answer straight away. But I just want you to think for a moment, the year you got saved. Share it with the person next to you, what year you got saved. So, um, as I say, we'll come back to that um, at the end, because I think it's, uh, uh, I did that, as I say, an exercise this morning, our t- a time of just praying together, and I thought actually it would be quite interesting, but in fact, as across the day, it's really struck me and got me thinking much more about actually the, the different years, different decades that people got saved and the fact of where they may have got saved as well, and could have been in this building, could have been on the island, or beyond. And by God's amazing grace and the way he works, he brings us all together in one room. Isn't that amazing how God works? And, uh, and I love it. I love the fact of hearing stories of God at work in individual lives. And uh, just kind of putting this uh, together um, for this evening, it kind of struck me um, something that uh, I, I want to link into what I shared last week. And last week I shared about those kind of having the desires to, to grow, to keep moving forward, the desires to, to, to love God, the desire to um, exercise the gifts that God's given you. And in that message, I mentioned something about the older generation. And uh, I felt that God was saying, God's not finished with you yet. And I want to let you in a little bit of a secret that actually, because it was quite last minute, I thought I'll look at my kind of some previous preaches, um, anything that do. But actually, when I went to look at the files under sermons, foolishly, years ago, I thought it'd be a good idea just to put the date and sermon. So I had no idea what the title was. And I thought, I'll just click on one and see where, where that leads. And it doesn't mean that I just went, oh, that will do. But actually, as I opened it up, the title was God Ain't Finished With You Yet. And, and actually, I have worked on it. I have amended it, all right? And I've made it something that I feel God is saying to us tonight. And as we go through, I want to just kind of remind you that the desires that, that actually for you is, is to say, I'm not done yet. I am not done yet. God is not finished with you. Regardless of your, your age, regardless of what your story that you're carrying right now with you, God is on your case. But what we need to be is be open hearts. So like worship tonight, as we're singing worship tonight, is actually saying, arms open wide, saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I come to praise you. Lord, it's you I trust and I want to follow. And as we do that, as we step out, then we know God's with us wherever we go. And I just want to encourage you. And when I say the older generation, I want to speak into my life. So it's anyone over um, 20, of course. Uh, no, uh, older generation. I want to say anyone over the age of 40, because I don't want to say older generation. And you're thinking, oh, seriously, seriously, all right? I'm 45. I'm 45. And I say the older generation because, and I've just decided to make it up that it'll be in its 40s, this older generation, because actually I, I can at times have the thought of maybe I need to just let others run with it. There's that temptation for me to do that. And I know for some of you, you're laughing and saying, only 40, old generation, yeah, right. Because I know the way you laughed, that's how you, uh, and there was a shock and horror. It's the most horrified I've ever heard you kind of in the room. But actually, as we do that, 
there is a temptation in us to kind of say, well, it's time for somebody else to do it. And maybe in that wisdom there is time, but I think there's also um, time when we can actually just say, do you know what, I think I'm done. And, and actually for us, for anyone over the age of 40, all right, God ain't finished with you yet. Okay? And I want to say that this message is not exclusive for that age group because I want to say for the younger ones, under 40, all right? Yeah, yeah all right, Dan. All right. How old are you, Dan? Yeah. Someone help him, eh? Uh, 37. <laughs> Your children are always there to encourage and build you up, aren't they? Um, but actually, you know what? We need to encourage one another. And you did a great job at encouraging your dad then, all right? Um, so we, as, as a society and our culture, we are increasingly um, living or seeing a world of people living individualistic lives. That's the kind of message that young people are getting around us all the time. We know that the COVID lockdowns, I know we're fed up with talking about that in the past, but actually it can have a stronghold on people's lives. They're like, well, that's the way I live. There's a mental health issue. Um, in fact, it's a pandemic of a mental health that people are struggling with coming out of lockdown. Even though we're a couple of years down the road now, people are, f- are struggling to kind of get back into society. What does that look like? But also young people are bombarded with the message, actually, put yourself first. And I think that's a lie from the enemy that wants to keep feeding. You just look after number one. What happens is that you start to idolize the lifestyle that you live, and you start to say, God, I don't want you in my life. And actually, that's, that's a message that's completely opposite to what we carry. We carry the, 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 the message of hope, life, joy, but it means we have to do something with it, not just sit there and say, that's, yeah, that's what they need to hear, but they don't hear that message. We're the proclaimers of truth. We have the most powerful story in the world, in the universe. It's the story of the good news of Jesus. And he's the one that brings new life. And if you know Jesus in this room tonight, then you know he has done something marvelous in your life. And even though you might be going through some struggles now, there might be some difficulties that you're facing right now, is know that God's with you. And that's a message that we can carry with us. And, uh, and this kind of individualistic lifestyle is an extremely dangerous path for our younger generation and the future generations, the generations that aren't even here yet, to, to go down. And it's our responsibility for older ones to say we're not going to stand for that. In fact, we're going to do the opposite, and we're going to fight for this. We want to stand on the truth and say to the younger generation that actually life can be richer. It can be richer in Christ. It can be richer in community. And it's not about putting yourself first. It's about giving to others. It's about serving. It's about enjoying being around one another. And so throughout the Bible, we see a number of stories where different generations interact with one another and how it can be empowering and encouraging, pointing towards faith. And also one of the other really important things is learning to hear God's voice. It's really important to discern and weigh it and know when to act. And that's where we need people with, that are further ahead of us to speak into our own lives. There's a well-known story in 1 Samuel 3. It's the story where God speaks to um, Samuel. And uh, at the time, he's living with Eli the priest. And although Eli has um, some issues with his sons, 
all those things that are going on, Eli, uh, Samuel is going to bed one night and he keeps hearing a voice and he thinks it's Eli. And each time he goes to Eli and he tells him it's not him, go back to bed. And then he realizes that God is speaking to Samuel. And in verse 8 uh, to 10, the following happens. It says actually that, um, that Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called out as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. There's a word that says perceive. So Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. And when you look at the kind of the, the original meaning of that word, it means that actually Eli um, discerned. It means he had insight. And I think it's those moments, in those moments, that wisdom that Eli had, that he paused, he considered what was going on. We know Samuel was a young boy at that time. He'd never heard God's voice before. So he, he didn't really know what was going on. But for Eli, he knew it must have been God calling Samuel. And I think in those moments where you have the wisdom of somebody further ahead, somebody that's carried a bit more life experience, the knock-on effect can be powerful. Now, Samuel grows up to be a prophet, and we know that a prophet is where, effectively, they're like a messenger, particularly see it in the Old Testament, where God speaks to that individual, and then they take the message to either an individual or a group of people. Another one is Jonah, that was a bit reluctant to go to Nineveh to proclaim um, that, that doom and gloom is going to come upon them if they don't repent. So they hear from God, they deliver the message. And from those days, we know that Samuel then later goes on as he gets older. He goes to Jesse's house when um, King Saul is, is to turn his back on God. And he goes to Jesse's house and we hear the story about David. And David is anointed king. And that's the line where Jesus comes from. Now, I know God can orchestrate all things. So if Eli ignored it, God could have done something a bit different. We know that. But that moment that Eli said to Samuel, go back, it's the Lord speaking to you. Isn't it incredible that it, in that moment, it was just a conversation between a man and a boy. But look what happened that affected not just that moment, but affected generations to come. And I think we sometimes underestimate the words or the power of the words that we can actually put into people's lives. I love the word encourage because it literally means to put courage in somebody. We can all take encouragement into others and to put it in people and to say, take it with you. We live in a world where there is so much negativity, so many put downs, so many things that we should be we should be told that we should think like this or like that when actually we come to what God calls us to do and is to build up and encourage and point people towards Jesus. That's why we should be different. If you look at 2 Timothy, there's another story. And this story is one about actually Paul taking Timothy under his wing. And if we just go to, I want to just read out Acts um, chapter 16, verse 1 to 5. Okay, this is the first time that Paul meets Timothy. And it just says that Paul, he came to, I can't really read it now, there's light, uh, came to uh, Derby and Lystra, 
And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers who were there. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which was determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. So we have here, he, Paul meets Timothy, and he doesn't just give a few kind of encouraging words to Timothy, he actually takes him with him wherever he goes. And so there's that mentoring, that's that developing, there's that way of actually come and see what I do. And that's another way we can actually um, encourage the younger generation or pe- people in your own peer group, you can do that. Come and spend time with me. Come and actually, let's, let's go and do this together. I want to show you how it's done. One thing that I see um, that done, and it's in a sense quite an easy way that I see it, is like the way the worship band is growing and growing. It's, it's like actually somebody showing them how to use, come and be part of the band, come and play the instrument that you're able to play. And, and it's actually, right, next week I want you to, to lead that bit. And so it's just one example of how you just kind of, I want to be with you and I want to help you grow and, and develop. And we see that and we want to see more young people develop and grow. But actually we don't want to just say to the older generation that are involved, you stand back now and don't get involved. We need you. Whatever area in the life of the church, we need you. And so here we had already that Timothy had a good reputation um, by other believers. And so obviously Paul knew this and took him under his wing. Here's some key verses that you get from um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm just going to give you some of the headings of what Paul did with Timothy. Timothy uh, Paul said to Timothy, I'm praying for you. He said he has a great desire to see him, even though he was in prison Paul was writing to him to say, I have a great desire to see you. He reminds Timothy to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. When was the last time you encouraged this, stir up the gift in you? Paul tells Timothy, do not fear. Through the Holy Spirit, he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Hold fast to what you've learned from me. And this is quite intimate. My son... Draw your strength from God. You wouldn't call someone your son unless there was that, that, that level of friendship and intimacy there. Paul says, endure, don't give up. You will face battles in the future. Anyone faced any battles recently? Any trials? There's only one person that I can hear. Yeah. Yeah. And one hand. All right. We, hey, this is life. We know in this world we go through trials doesn't matter how small or big you think it is, it can actually dominate us. But what does Paul say to Timothy in Durham? Don't give up. You will face battles. And then Paul tells Timothy, think about what I've said. So it's, it's chew on it. Don't just go, hey, thanks for that, and go on to the next day. No, actually meditate on it. Think it over. Chew on it. Think about what I've said and use it and apply it. And if you were Timothy and you were having this said to you, just think for a moment, how would that make you feel? I think I would be encouraged and I'd be stirred up and it would want to make me go again and again and again. 
But we know in life there are blockages and obstacles. I've talked about the trials we face as well that um, just mentioned. But one of the things that can happen is that we can easily get that feeling of, I'm no longer qualified. I've, I'm going to disqualify myself from being able to be involved. And you get those kind of things that kind of ticks over, over in your mind, in your heart. Do you know what? It's time now. I've done my season. I need to step back and let others run through. There are blockages and obstacles that can stop us from being like what Paul was with Timothy. Please do not disqualify yourself. I was thinking about this before that, like in a, if you watch the Olympics in a relay race, the four by one, four by four, there's always the group is made up of slightly different ages. And sometimes you have a really, uh, a person maybe coming towards the end of their career, they're the older ones. Um, and maybe some younger ones are coming through. But you don't see in the race that one of them, by their own choice, just goes, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to just pull out the race now. No, they're going to keep running and running. And there's something about passing on the baton to the next generation. We have a responsibility to ensure that baton is handed over safely, with faith, with courage, and to say, go, run, it's your time. There, here's some blockages. The first thing, I'm too old. As anybody in this room says, I'm too old. What is too old? When I said over 40, you were clearly thinking that's way too young. But actually, we can disqualify ourselves because we think, I'm too old. Why? Why does that stop you? Yes, you might, as you get older, get a little bit more tired. Um, maybe there are things that are changing in your life. Your knees getting a little bit kind of not working as well. There may be these barriers, but actually, are they things that could stop you from encouraging others? Do they stop you from serving? And there might be seasons where you might have to just adapt slightly. But I would say this. Do not disqualify yourself because you think you're too old. Okay. I remember when I was at school, all those day, years ago, I thought 18 was really old. And then if you're in your 20s, you think, oh, someone in their 40s. You know, we've always got a perspective about age, but it's only a number. It is only a number. Do not stop taking your eyes off God. What is he saying to you at the moment? Sometimes a blockage or a... Uh, something that we can disqualify ourselves is like, well, it's time to let the younger ones come through. Well, part of that statement is true. It's time to bring through the younger generation. But actually, there are seasons where we need to run alongside them, where we take them with us. And then there might be a time where you say, right, it's time for you to lead, but I'm going to still be here. If you're still struggling or you hit a, a problem or that so-and-so annoys you, you come and talk to me and let's talk about it. You know, there's those things that actually we can, it can just adapt and change. Do you know one of the best kind of teams I've ever, can, that I can be in is when there's different age groups because it, it blends together. There is some experience. So you have the, the, the kind of the excitement and the buzz from young people. Let's do this. We can change the world tomorrow. And sometimes you have then the older people come along and actually say, yeah, but actually let's, let's work through this. Let's talk through it, but let's, let's walk through this together. 
you need that wisdom. And so when you have a team that's made up of different ages, I think it's a really fruitful team. I think it's a really exciting team to be part of. Sometimes it can be a blockage, can be disappointment and frustration. You seem to be going round and around in circles. Seems to be kind of like, I don't know how to get through this. And actually then disappointment turns to retreat and retreat then turns to I quit. I want to say, do not quit. And there might be some people in this room that might be saying, well, I've been serving this area for many, many years, or I don't know why, I'm, should I really be in this role or not? Don't keep that to yourself. Make sure you talk it with someone that you know is going to speak some wisdom and pray with you into that. It just may be you're going through a bit of a, I'm not quite sure what that looks like right now. But someone speaks into it, it might be a light bulb moment. It might be that, that time to say, no, actually, now I've got a fresh perspective of it. I, I, mean, I want to go again. One of the biggest killers is cynicism. It's a kind of skeptical view. And I notice this creeps in in my life that, that actually as you get older, you start to see sometimes repeated patterns. Politicians, you see it. Over the years, as you gain more and more kind of see exposure to politics and you see like uh, the different parties in the UK, they just say the same thing. It's just maybe dressed up a bit differently. And the party that got voted in suddenly changed their tune and say something a bit kind of different. And the party that was in starts to kind of point the same kind of thing that was finger was pointed at them. And they promise this, promise that. But as you see that pattern, and I'm just using politics as an example, sometimes then you go, well, we've heard that all before. And that can happen in church. Oh, we've heard that all before. Oh, we tried that, but it didn't work. It might have just been the wrong season when you tried it. You might have gone ahead too quickly, and that's why it didn't work. There can be many, many reasons, but don't let that creep in. And certainly don't let that be in your voice when you share them with one another. It's about encouraging and pushing people on, not kind of pushing them down, squishing them down, and just say, why do you bother? There's no point. I've had that almost pretty much said in those words to me over the years at certain times. Does it build me up and make me want to go on Monday morning again and again? No, it doesn't. It sucks life and joy. And I want to say that in your workplace, do you encourage people? Do you talk positively to them? Or do you sometimes just join in the conversation of, and I'll be honest with you, when things like education on Guernsey comes up and things like that, I find it very easy to actually be much more negative than I am positive. Am I feeding good or am I just in, enjoying a conversation of bringing people down? We need to keep checking our hearts. We need to keep checking our hearts. What are we saying? Because we know people fill you with doubt. And the last thing is fear and anxiety. Fear can make us want to retreat, as I said before. But actually what we need to do is we need people around us to, to pray with us. Do you know when someone comes up to me and says, can I pray with you? What does that do? It builds me up. Or someone messages just say, oh, you came into my mind this morning and just to say that, that actually I'm going to be praying for you across this week. What's it do? It encourages me. 
to know that, that God's prompted somebody else, that God is, is stirring someone else to say, yeah, I want to actually let them know that I'm praying for them. Or whatever else. Let's go and grab a coffee together. Let's, um, whatever it is. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Even if you are struggling physically with your health, and maybe going out at nighttime is difficult, as I said last week, you can still pray for people. It doesn't have to be complicated prayers. You can ask, how are people getting on? You can make a difference this morning with the cafe. You might think, well, it's just a cup of coffee. I'm chatting to someone around the table. Yeah, you're having a coffee and chatting to people. That can make a difference. In fact, this morning I was chatting to somebody that first time they came in the cafe, they were a bit unsure when they first came in because actually they first came into the prayer meeting. So we're like, whoa, what's going on here? And amazingly, they still hung around. What did they do? They stayed here for most of the morning and sat with people that are in love with Jesus. That's the best place to be. So never, ever underestimate what you can bring into someone's life. Because remember, you are the carriers of the presence of Jesus. What a victory that is. There's a story in 1 Kings 12 about a king called um, Rehoboam. Um, in this story, he had a really important decision to make. And first off, he consults older men over the important decision. But instead of taking anything of what they said, he ignored them and consulted his peer group, the people that he grew up with. And I just want to read this, just a, literally like a, two verses. Uh, 1 Kings 12, verse um, 6 to to eight, so three verses. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Verse eight, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. What do we know about Solomon? We know that he asked for wisdom. We know that he was the wisest man ever to be known. In that time, it talks about these elders hung out with Solomon. Solomon's wisdom would have rubbed off on them. Rehoboam goes to these guys, asks for their advice, and ignores them. Goes to his peer group, who may have just been, well, you do what you want, or, hey, yeah, let's, let's just get on and do it that way. It was a wrong decision, and the outcome saw failure. Can you see how the older generation can play the part? Where you can really make a big difference in other people's lives, in decisions like that. And it's important that we value all age groups and as I said before, when teams of different ages work together, there's something beautiful in that, in that community. So as we just begin to wrap things up, I want to, you know, how do we move forward from this? Um, I want to encourage you to use this week to seek God and to ask him to just stir up your heart. 
if you're beginning to settle, what does that look like? As you seek God, is he saying for you to step into something new? Ask him, are there people that, you can, that you're putting on my heart that I can start to just encourage? To maybe message? To maybe just consider I'm going to start praying for them? For your older lot, including me, God's not done with you yet. He is not finished with you yet. And I, this, ex, this, this discussion question I gave you at the beginning, I said at the 9.30 prayer meeting, there were around 20 people were gathered in this room, and I asked everyone to write down the year that they were saved. And we had a range, okay, of the, the latest someone was saved was in 2010, or the earliest, and I, and I did verify it because I was like, wow, you'll probably know who it is if I say it. Um, they got saved in 1938. 85 years ago. And uh, this, this afternoon, I just looked at those different years and I combined all those years together of how long these people had become followers of Jesus. I included um, me in that. I was saved in 1998. When you combine all those years, you get 786 years from 20 people in a room. And why I did that is because it got me thinking that 786 years of stories, 786 years of experience of what it is to follow Christ. Your story is powerful. But somehow, and maybe it's like the scheme of the enemy or maybe just what you think about yourself, we kind of dilute that story down or our experiences down because we think no one will really want to listen to these stories. Yet we all know that the gospel is the most powerful story. We need to be wise where and how we use it, but let's use it. 20 people, 786 years. If we had it up in this room, it'd be quite a bit more. Yet the schemes of the enemy says, keep quiet, you're not important. I'm going to sell you, God ain't finished with you yet. And I will say that it will only finish when God calls you home. So let's not stop. Let's not put ourselves down. Let's not, and it might be that you are hanging out with people that are putting you down. Then ask God for wisdom and how to change that. Maybe it's a, a friendship group that you may need to s step out of. You've got a part to play.